Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. It's good to be back. Welcome, friends. It's been a while because I took a break from the podcast to finish writing my second book, which will now be out at the end of August. It's just being edited and formatted and all that other booky stuff, but I finished writing. I finished the manuscript. It feels so good. I'm really proud of it, so I'll definitely be sharing more about that in the future. I'm coming back with one of my favorite people in the world, Cheryl Richardson. I grew up watching Cheryl on The Oprah Winfrey Show. I've read all of her books. Most of them are New York Times bestsellers. And she's really been a mentor in my life and a friend. And we explore a topic that I'm passionate about, which is what to do when you're just feeling stuck. Sometimes life is changing or life is not changing the way you want it to, and you're not quite sure what to do next. This is all about how you can support yourself and find more clarity. So you can begin to find me every other week here at Adventures in Happiness podcast. And the weeks in between, we have new shows that come out on the Tapping Solution podcast called the Tapping Solution Bits and Pieces podcast. So you definitely want to check that out. Now, if you've been interested in learning more about tapping, well, it's your lucky day because starting on Monday, we have a free online event. It's called the Tapping World Summit. We do this event only once a year for 10 days. We've been doing it for 10 years. This is our 10th year, and I'm really proud of it. Every day, I interview two experts on different challenges that we face. So one day, it could be focused on financial struggles. The next day, it could be relationships. And I interview these experts about how we can use this amazing stress relief technique to support us through those challenges. So you can sign up. It's completely free, but you have to sign up and participate live in order to be able to listen to this for free. So again, it starts on Monday and you can get the link at thetappingsolution.com forward slash notes. You'll see notes from this episode as well as that link. So definitely check that out. So without any further ado, here's Cheryl. Oh wait, not yet. One last thing. For now on, I am conducting these podcast interviews on Facebook Live. So if you want to see the video, head over to my Facebook page. Just search my name, Jessica Ortner, and you'll find me and you can watch or just continue listening. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Jessica Ortner, and I am so excited to be here. Um, I have, it's been a while since I've done a podcast and here I'm doing a new podcast for my iTunes show, Adventures in Happiness, and I'm doing something different, which is recording live with my dear friend, Cheryl. But before we jump in, I do need to mention one thing. On Monday, the Tapping World Summit begins. This is the first time, and this is the only time that we do it every year. So once a year, we do the Tapping World Summit. You don't want to miss it. It starts on Monday. We'll put the registration link below. 
And uh, let's jump in, Cheryl. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, thanks. I'm glad to be here. And I'm so excited about the Tapping World Summit, I just want to say. And I also want to say that I love the video that you and I did as part of the launch of the summit. Yes. You know, I'm going to also include a link below okay. um, about that. And for those, we're recording this live. I see a lot of you guys are uh, joining us. Let us know where you're from. Um, hello, everyone. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Karen. Um, so first of all, I do have to mention, Cheryl, that like, it was really funny. A few minutes before we started recording, I completely forgot how to use Zoom. And I had taught you and you were looking for your notes and we were trying to figure this out. It was very funny. It was, it was really funny. Um, so this morning, I sent you an email this morning because when I do a podcast, it's really important to me that I read every single book before I have someone on my show. And for some reason, I just kept putting your book off and I don't know why, so it's called Waking Up in Winter, How to Find Meaning in Midlife, and maybe it was the word midlife, but I just, I just found myself, I didn't read it, and then I wake up at 5.45 this morning because I'm thinking, I, gotta, I have to read this book. And I went in like work mode, like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get that, I gotta like highlight, I gotta figure out what we wanna talk about, I need to get the structure, and I was so moved by your words that I, I couldn't do it, I just had to, I, I said to you, it's like having an amazing cup of tea and trying to get yourself to chug it. It's like, you, it just loses you don't want to do that. all the pleasure. And it was like, I can't, I need to take my time. And I spent two and a half hours reading your book. Uh, and I was really moved by it. And it really touched me and I'm not in midlife. And so I just want to thank you for writing such a beautiful book. And uh, I guess one of the things that I really love about you, and you've helped me a lot personally, is you talk a lot about those moments in our life when we feel really stuck. Uh, and what I love about reading your book, which is like a journal, is I see that even when you have this great career and everything looks great, all of us have these moments in our lives where we just feel like things aren't moving the way we want them to and we just feel stuck. And in those times, a lot of times we wanna push and we wanna change and you teach something really different. You talk about stillness. Um, can you kind of introduce this idea of how to approach these moments where we're just feeling really stuck? Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. So first of all, thank you for, you know, what you said. And I'm glad that the book is sort of speaking to you in some helpful way. I'm surprised actually at how many um, people who are not at midlife um, have written to me to say, I think it's really a book about transition. And I think that's what you're talking about when you mentioned stuck. It's funny, you know, what's so funny just now, I don't even think of it as stuck anymore. I think of it as maybe we're in the place we're supposed to be in and we're just not accepting it, so we're calling it stuck. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it doesn't look, so let's use an example. Like if we feel stuck in our career, or say we're saying we feel stuck in our career, we just feel bored, we have a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Well, so, but I would go back to what I said first for a moment and just say, let's breathe into that statement about what if where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be and it, you're calling it stuck, but it might be something else. So it could be, for example, what you're saying is you're beginning to recognize that you're really bored with where you are, right? You're bored in your relationship. You're bored with where you live. You're bored in your work, um, 
whatever it might be, there's a passage, as you know, in the book where I talk about how Debbie Ford had said to me on her deathbed, stop doing things that bore you, which was a really powerful thing for her to say, really has stayed with me till this day, it stayed with me. And um, so, yeah, I, I say this just because sometimes when we feel stuck, we need to just stop, take a step back, spend some quiet time alone, and really just ask ourselves, am I really stuck or am I just embarking on, am I just becoming aware of something that isn't working in my life? And can I give myself time to let that awareness really come to the surface fully? Because the reason I say this, Jess, is because so many of us, when we're unhappy in some, some place in our life, especially in today's culture. And so much of waking up in winter really is, you know, it says in search of what really matters at midlife. It could say in search of what really matters at a time of transition. And it's the in search part that the book is about, right? So it's about finding um, peace with the meandering and finding peace with the stillness and not just jumping to something that we can sort of glob onto our lives or change in an effort to feel better, but instead really use any time of transition or questioning or discomfort as a, an invitation to inquiry, to really um, just noticing who am I right now who feels stuck? Um, what does, if I had to like take a piece of paper and you can write the word stuck at the top and then just ask yourself to write down everything that you feel has to do with the word stuck, almost like free association, right? Just whatever occurs to you, write it down. I just had a conversation with a dear friend of mine, actually a mentor and a teacher of mine, who was talking about feeling really uncomfortable in this particular place. And we were exploring it, you know, he wanted to kind of like get to the bottom of it and move on. And instead, we were really exploring What's uncomfortable about where you are? What's great about the uncomfortable feelings? What's, you know, how is your stuckness serving you right now? What's it teaching you about yourself? Um, and one of my favorite coaching questions is, if feeling stuck were just the symptom, what would the source of the stuckness be? In other words, let's, let's drop below the stuckness and notice what kinds of feelings are going on, going on below feeling stuck. So it's really about an exploration, right? Which is what I'm sort of inviting you and those watching to do. I think there's also a belief behind that, a belief about what life is and what life means. Because I know I had an experience in my life and and like you said, this, this book is about transitions. And so this was years ago when I was 29 turning 30. And you know very well, I, I moved to California by myself. Um, I was doing all these transitions and I, and I felt really stuck. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And one of the things that you told me was to be in that stuckness, to give myself the opportunity to not push to find answers, but almost live in the questions. And, and it helped me a lot. And from that moment, I then met my husband, like looking back, I can see it. I can see like this picture of because of that moment, I met my husband and it led to so many great things. And so now I have that as an example of, of how to trust life. I think when you're in it, it's like you, no one's giving you the guarantee that it's going to work out. And so there almost has to be this like fundamental 
trust mm -hmm. that it's happening for a reason. Well, and it's in, yeah. So I remember that period. I remember you and I talking and I remember distinctly that what you were calling stuck, I was calling a, a phase of exploration. And yeah. by the way, I want to say that late twenties to early thirties is a real, it's kind of like a midlife. It's a very important transition point where in my experience as a coach, I find that a lot of people, um, especially people who are highly creative, who tend to be rebels or mavericks in their family, who um, you know, are out of the box thinkers, are usually grappling with, at that period of time, they're usually grappling with the part of them that feels like they should follow tradition and you know, get married, have the two kids, or you know, get, a, get a master's degree. I mean, it could be a bunch of different things. You know, doing the appropriate right things. Um, and then there's a part of them that's like, nah, you know what, there's something else. I don't know what it is. And oh my God, what if I never find it? But if, if you can hold on, that's a great example of holding on during that time of transition, then you can allow life to bring you what's next, right? Instead of forcing what's next. Because a lot of times when we're pushing or forcing what's next, all we're doing is delaying the real good that life has to bring to us. Um, so there's, there's that piece of it. The other thing is uh, something you said I wanted to mention. Um, Trusting life. Okay. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was about, um, oh, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. Um, I don't think linearly anymore. I think <laughs> all over the place. And, and I like that so much better. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so that, that was a really, you know, you did. You sort of breathed into, we had a chance to talk. You said, okay, you know what, I'm going to, you were on a treasure hunt, but you were calling it stuckness. Yeah, that's true. Really? was and I think a lot of us at different points of transition it's the same thing at midlife the kids are gone suddenly we have all this time to ourselves and we're like holy crap who am I what am I going to do and the tendency is to want to rush into something and if there's one lesson this journal taught me it is a journal it's a memoir in journal form that was written already written I went back to edit it um a little uh, one of the things this particular book taught me was the importance of waiting, the importance of meandering, the importance of not making decisions about our lives too quickly, the recognition that at some point, particularly in midlife, you got to stop being the gladiator and focus on becoming the chalice, where you begin to really, um, you, you do practice more stillness and you become more receptive to what life wants to bring you instead of trying to chase that was the other thing I was going to say to you, Jess, that at that time, particularly around that time, I think late, early, late 20s to through the 30s, we've been trained in our culture to go for it, work hard, be driven, make shit happen, set those goals, you know, all of that stuff, which is part of that householder stage of life, you know, when we're building careers and building families and all of that, but we're not taught how to sit still and breathe and draw to us the highest and best what's next for us. And I think that that's an important skill that we can learn at any time, at any age. Right. Well, you talk about, when you talked about midlife, you said you realized that uh, how you started to reflect on your own mortality. Yeah. So there was something where uh, in the book where you figured out how many summers you have left or how many winters you have left. Yes. And so, What's that balance between the waiting, or maybe it's not balance, but just gaining clarity of 
the decisions we want to wait on mm -hmm. in clarity and, and the moments where we go, I don't want to waste any more time. Yeah, that was a really um, powerful recognition for me in that particular journal where um, it's one thing to say, I mean, when I turned 50, like literally the day I turned 50, I was like, holy mackerel, I've got probably more years behind me than ahead of me. And the gift of that is you really start to take your time and your energy seriously. And I think that's a really good thing. So when I realized that um, when I'm being distracted because I've got a bird feeder outside my window. So notice I'm watching these like amazing birds. Come <laughs> and I realized, okay, Cheryl, stop looking. Let me stop looking at the birds. Um, I know. Well, and they were in our video too, for people who watch the tapping video, you can see the birds flying. Did you notice that? You know, someone made a comment about feeling like there were like orbs. Like yeah. they're like, I think there's energetic orbs, but they were the birds. They were the birds, they were the birds outside of the window because we filmed in my living room in the, in the uh, where there's a whole bunch of windows. Anyway, the day that I realized, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, I might only have 40 years left or 50 years left or whatever it might be for you. But because I love the summer and the spring and the fall, and I started to equate time with seasons. And there's something about saying I might have only 30 summers left or 30 springs left that feels very different than 30 or 40 years, right? It really brings it home. And so there is this, I mean, I can pretty confidently, not I can completely confidently say that in this day and age, erring on the side of waiting is always a good bet rather than feeling rushed because you know i'm 58 and i can tell you that when faced with uh, making any kind of an important decision i don't care how much longer i have left i care more about the quality of the choices that i make and so i'm going to really take my time um, with some of the choices especially important big choices right so um once again i think the younger we are the the less appreciation we have for the fragility of life. It's not a bad thing. It's not a judgment or a bad thing. It's just the reality is the finish line looks really far away when you're younger. And the older we get, the finish line moves, moves toward us. And what's really great about that is um, it gives us more courage, makes us um, more gutsy, you know, more able to make choices that really matter to the soul. And you also begin to realize just that the soul is here to experience life, to to really be present for any experience. It's not here to accomplish or acquire or um, succeed in some way. There might be the experience of succeeding or the experiencing of accomplishing something or the experience of acquiring something that you feel is important to you, but it's not the actual, it's not about the material world. So when you get that time, you really get that time is just an illusion. It's where am I right now and am I present for this experience? You know, even if it's hard, I mean, you, you know, we were talking about this before I went on. I write about my cat Poupon in the book and he died after the book came out completely unexpectedly. And it's been heartbreaking for me. And do I wish he was still here? Of course, but I am being really present to the grief and what it has to teach me and uh, what, what the experience of grieving feels like. And there's something about being present for life that makes it less painful, if that makes mm. sense. No, it, it does. I think one of the things I loved about reading your book and it was a reminder for me that it's not about life always being perfectly happy and 
You know, it's, it's not always supposed to be a high, that when we have lows and we grieve and our heart breaks, there's a certain type of richness to that experience that can really brighten our lives in its own way. Maybe brighten isn't the right word, but add more color to our lives, more richness, more meaning. Um, it allows us to appreciate things. And also you said something about, about death, about grieving, how it's this, it just comes in, grief comes in and it really shows you your priorities. Yeah. It really shows you what matters. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the gift of grief, the gift of death, the gift of losing people we love, animals we love, soulmates, whether they're in fur or skin, um, losing anything we really love gives us, uh, it makes it crystal clear. I think there's one point in the book where I say grief opens a window, you know, um, and we can see so clearly what really matters to us in our life. And the goal is to keep that window open. And, um, and I will say that, you know, I lost my father, then Pupan a year later, and I lost two really important friends, very important friends to me. And um, what that taught me, loss all at once has taught me, has just really driven home the fact that life is hard. You know, the Buddhists say life is suffering. I don't like to affirm that, but the reality is when we focus more on how we're going to experience life and move through it, regardless of what happens, instead of trying to be happy all the time, which is a complete waste of time, or trying to make everything okay. I mean, that's, you know, I look at the loss of Poupon and, you know, I fed him the best food. I gave him fresh water. I exercised him every day. I'm like, that cat lived like a king and he died. And he taught me that you can't control life. We can't hang on to, it's not about doing whatever we can to avoid having the painful happen. I don't want my husband to leave me. I don't want my boss to fire me. You know, I don't want my animal to die. I don't want that friendship to end, whatever it might be. It's really about pulling back in, much like you did when you moved to California. You, you pulled your energy in and it was like, okay, wait a second, who's Jess right now? Who am I? What is important to me? What do I like about being here in California? What don't I like about being here? What kind of guy do I want to meet? You know, like you really just took that time to get to know yourself in a deeper way. That's rich. Even if it's hard, it is rich. Yeah. Uh, one, of, one thing that really struck me as well is you said that when you experienced um, the grief of your friend, how it also taught you that it's safe to love, that knowing that you can survive such grief gives you more courage to love and appreciate people in your life. I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to come by. I mean, I do want to say that because even it's been proven to me in losing Poupon, who was like a soulmate. He was such a teacher in both Michael and I's life. There was absolutely a period, I think the first month after he passed, where I thought, you know what? I'm never going to, I'm never going to get another. I mean, I knew I was going to get another animal because it's just who I am. I love animals and I can't not have an animal. There was a period where I thought I'm never, I'm never going to get close to an animal like that again because it was so painful. And Chris Carr, you know, my friend Chris was so helpful when I was going through because she and I both are like crazy in love with animals. And, you know, she was the one who said to me, when the time, you'll know it, you know, I know you, she said, you love animals too much and the next animal will find you when the time is right. And that period ended a lot more quickly. And it was because losing Debbie Ford, losing, um, a couple of other friends of mine losing my dad, I realized that what's the alternative, right? I mean, the alternative is to not love, and that's stupid. <laughs> I mean, like, miserable. 
Yeah, yeah. who wants to be here and not love? I mean, that's the only reason we are here anyway. So, so Cheryl, when we're in this place where, so we're not going to call it stuck anymore. We're calling it that phase, that part of exploring. So now it's like we, we have this mentality of, of exploring and we're maybe opening our eyes to, to different opportunities, to different things. You talk a lot about how life speaks to us, you know, whether it's through dreams or things that you notice. Can you talk a, a little bit about how we begin to find the answers that we're looking for in our own life? The other day I was cleaning out my library. Every year I do, um, I do these retreats locally. And now one of the things I do is every time I host a retreat, I bring a box of books from my library to give away to people who come. Um, because, you know, they're all, they're topics that people would really like. So I was going through my library and, um, and I thought, wow, you know, it is just, it's quite amazing just to even look through one's library, like your sh a shelf of books and notice what do those books have to teach you about yourself? Um, I also did the same thing when we, we had like two big drawers of DVDs, movies. And um, nowadays, you know, you stream everything. So I was going through the DVDs and it, once again, it was like, wow, look at the kinds of movies that we've been drawn to or the kinds of documentaries we've been drawn to. Nowadays, you could go on Netflix even, right? Or Amazon and look at what you've seen or what you've read. Um, those are some of, that's like just a very practical way to kind of get a sense of who you are on a deeper level you know over the weekend here's another example um over the weekend i was i michael and i were together with a couple of good friends who have been collecting mail for neighbors and um while they're away and they were talking about how you learn so much about people just by what they get in the mail and um and i thought you know isn't that interesting like if i were to look at my mail every day for a week through the eyes of somebody else, what would it, what would life tell me about myself? You know, the books tell us something about ourselves. The DVDs or the movie lists tell us something. The mail that we receive tells us something about ourselves that we often forget. Um, the people in our lives, you know, paying attention to, I am just so tuned into the emails that I get from people, the kinds of requests for help that I get tell me a lot about my gifts, right? Because life is always bringing to us reflections and invitations for, uh, to bring forth our highest and best parts. So there's a lot of times, like I get a lot of, um, I receive a lot of phone calls or emails from people in my inner circle and sort of outer circle about death and dying and loss. Why? Because I'm actually quite good at supporting people through grief because I've experienced it and I'm not afraid of death. I experienced that very early in my life. So life is always, I mean, we just really have to pay attention, you know, begin to pay attention to the posts that you get on Facebook even, or the, um, the photographs. I mean, I think, if you were to spend a year keeping a journal just through photographs, keeping your smartphone with you, and every time you go anywhere, noticing what catches my attention and what my, might I take a picture, you know, what, what am I drawn to take a photograph of? At the end of six months even, you could go through your library or your album of those photos and really see that life is always trying to give you, is always trying to show you who you are. 
and where you're being drawn to. It's just most of us are so distracted by the lives of others, for example, with social media, distracted by the needs of others when we're lost in email and text now. Texts make me crazy that, you know, the amount of people that text now instead of email even, you can't mark them as unread. I haven't learned how to do that. Have you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, life is always sometimes the conversation with a good friend. I look at the picture behind you, Jess, and that picture tells me a lot about you, that you would choose to have that piece of art in your home. I mean, I know you, and I know that it's not like, uh, that was not a random choice for sure. And you could look at that art. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming it's yours. Maybe it's yeah. yours. <laughs> Mine. You could look at that and you could ask yourself, you know, what, if that painting could speak to me, about me, what would it say? That'd be a really interesting question to ask yourself. No, it's, it's true. I think one of the things that I learned about feng shui, which is not about just clearing clutter, but also about how your environment um, is speaking to you. Mm -hmm. And so when you make choices like to put certain art in your office, it's gonna symbolize how you show up, how you want work to feel. Right, you know? right. exactly. And, and when it comes to kind of finding these messages, I've noticed from you and, and from this book, which is a journal, it's like, it's, it's like almost like you don't recognize the messages until you're writing them down. It's like oftentimes we don't see those unless we have the space to observe them. Can you tell us a little bit about what journaling has meant in your life and how do you think it helps us even in a therapeutic level? Yeah, well, it helps us in a hugely therapeutic level. It's one of the most powerful ways I think that we can get to know ourselves. I started journaling when I was 12. And, um, and really this book came about as a result of Michael, my husband Michael saying to me when I, when I said to him, you know what, I've written, I feel like I've written all I need to write for now on self-care and work-life balance and how-to sorts of stuff. And I really don't know what's next. And he said to me, why don't you just publish one of your journals and show people um, what it means to live a conscious life and to do the work you do and deal with suffering and struggling and joy and, you know, all of those, like where you find meaning in life and um, on a daily basis. And it appealed to me because I have been journaling since I was 12. And I journal, for years I journaled out of desperation. I always journaled when I was upset about something, when something pushed my buttons, when I was lonely, when I was confused. And I found that as I wrote, and especially when I was younger, you know, the, the inner critic, the committee of critics didn't exist very strongly in my head. I just wrote whatever was going on for me. And, um, and I found after a couple of pages, three pages, four pages, I would tap into a piece of wisdom that would make me feel better or a piece of insight. I would become aware of something that, and I'd be able to say, oh, for crying out loud, that's what's really going on. I thought it was about this, but it's really about this. And there would be an energy release and freedom. We oftentimes, if we think about feeling depressed, melancholy, heavy, down, unhappy, resentful, whatever it might be, it's usually there's suppressed energy. We, you know, this is we can go into tapping, or this is why tapping is so important. We're suppressing energy. We're caught, we're, we're, weighed down by a complex, as Jung would say, or an old pattern, a neural pattern that is just keeping us stuck. And I find that with journaling, it sort of releases energy, like, oh, that's what's going on, or, 
oh, just getting all the crap out of my head onto the page releases energy. And as the energy gets released, we become more and more self-aware and more um, lighter and more able to access resourceful places in the mind and in the heart. So um, I think it's important to, I mean, I'll say this, when I went back to read this journal to decide to publish this period in my life, I really noticed that at this point in my life, I could go back and read my journal through the eyes of a compassionate, loving presence instead of a judge. In the past, I would go back and look at a journal and think, oh my God, I can't believe I was, I was going through that or that I said that or that I did that. You know, like I just, I would judge myself mercilessly. And now it's like, oh, wow, look at what was going on. Look at what I couldn't see. You have this line that really um, touched me when you said that you had made a promise that you would never judge someone who had the courage to put words on paper and that you would use that promise with yourself, that you wouldn't judge yourself. And I think as anyone who creates anything, I resonated with that so much as a writer. It's so easy to just go back years later and read something, or not even years later, like 20 minutes later, <laughs> like go read something and be like, ah, you know, and... And uh, it's, it's crazy. And then, and then when you feel better, you read it and you go, oh, that was brilliant. And you realize how much of, of what you're reading and the judgment has to do with how you're currently feeling about yourself and not about that piece of work. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, that happened right after I wrote Take Time for Your Life, which was my first book. And it was only a few months after the book came out when somebody sent it to me in the mail and asked me to autograph it and put a note in for a friend. And I was sitting in the parking lot of the post office reading the book and I started judging like, oh my gosh, boy, that sentence is way too long. I should have made that sentence shorter because I'm a writer at heart. So I'm looking at the craft of writing or, um, oh, you know, I, I probably would change that little piece there to some, and I just went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What are you doing? And I made a decision in that moment. I would not criticize the artist in me, the brave artist in me who was willing to put her words on paper ever because we're always outgrowing ourselves in 20 minutes you're a different person than the person who wrote 20 minutes ago there's so there's that piece of it i think we all need to really make a rule that we will love and accept and respect the artist because we're all artists we're all artists and healers i will love and respect the artist and the healer in me i won't judge her and i won't criticize her and i certainly won't critique the art that I produce. So there's that piece of it. The other piece is, you know, my husband, Michael is a writer and he's published a couple of books. He's just finishing his third book. And we laugh all the time, Jess. He'll say to me, oh my God, I went to bed last night thinking that chapter I just finished is the most awesome thing I've ever written in my life. And I got up this morning and I read it and I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> thinking this is like just crap i can't believe it and we you know i'm so grateful to be married to a writer we laugh about that and we like just remind each other yes honey i know you think it sucks today you know how many times do we think it sucks while we're finishing a book and eventually you finish at the end and you're you know you you when you're really when you care about what you're putting out and you're you know you're giving your heart and soul to it you come to the end and you go there that's what was supposed to be created for this period of my life. I'm ready to let it go. And then you're off to the next stage of your life. You know? Right. And this isn't just about 
writing. I mean, for us, we do the writing, but for someone else, this might be speaking in public, sharing a project with your colleagues. I mean, all of us in some way create something in our lives. And a lot of times if we find ourselves procrastinating, it's usually because we're scared of that voice. It's like, if I don't finish this, then I can't beat myself up about it. So let me not do it. And that's really like, like let's bold and underline and italicize what you just said, because a lot of times that is what procrastination is. We are so afraid of the inner critical voice, which for a certain percentage of us, is the harshest voice we will ever live with. I bet you're one of them, Jess. I am too. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, that used to plague me when I would speak. And Debbie Ford was the one that really helped me with that when she said, you don't care about what everybody else thinks. You think it's about your audience, but it's really about you. You are so relentlessly judgmental with yourself. Hmm. And, um, and Isn't it funny how we can be so much harder on ourselves than other people? It's like yeah. we can be so compassionate with other people and then we make a mistake. And it's a, it's a different story. We have to learn a different set of tools on how to be our own friend. Well, and I've also learned in my years of coaching, and the Enneagram has helped me with this. I write about the Enneagram, which is this personality profile system, has really helped me too, because there are certain types of people who have harsher inner critics than others. And um, people who tend to be helpers, people who tend to really appreciate beauty and refinement and feel... Um, compelled to do the right thing, uh, you know, also tend to have a very harsh critic that lives in their head that's always monitoring their behavior and telling them, you know, when they're doing something right and doing something wrong, and it's usually something wrong. Right. Um, going back to journaling, to, I want to talk about telling the truth. It's something that you talk about is kind of admitting how we feel. What's so important about that process of just saying, even kind of like the shadow stuff. I'm not happy. I don't like this. I want to change. Like, what is it about that hard truth that is so helpful? Well, in some ways, <clears throat> the decision to even just publish this journal was like the decision to publish a shadow side of myself, mm -hmm. right? Because so much of a journal, um, if you think about it, there's not a lot of people in our lives that we, I mean, a lot of people don't journal because they're afraid of people finding their journal and reading it. And um, I, I mean, I've had that conversation a million times over the years and I always tell people hide it, lock it up. Like, you know, if you're worried about that, make sure nobody can get to it. I think that, um, you know, I've, I've also always said to clients that life can't change until you start, until you start telling the truth about what's working and what isn't working in your life. And that's essentially what I start doing in this journal. Cause at some point I think, okay, I've been a very successful author and teacher. I've got a loyal following of readers. I have a husband that I love who, you know, we've got a wonderful relationship. It's not perfect and we make each other crazy, but it's a, it's a long-term, healthy, functioning relationship. You know, there's so much about my life that looks good that I can't, you know, who am I to talk about the things that I'm unhappy about? And yet I knew too that my life can't change. I can't. Um, nothing can change if you're not willing to tell the truth. As a coach, people paid me to tell them the truth and to ask the hard questions and to mirror back the truth of what I heard, even when they didn't see it or didn't want to see it in a loving and gracious way, of course. And so I think it's important for us. I mean, journaling is a safe place to do it. Like I said, as long as you can lock it up or hide it. 
it's a wonderful way to just start writing about what am I unhappy about in my life? What isn't working for me? What do I wish could change? Um, what am I unhappy about with myself? What do I wish I could change uh, within myself? And just the act of saying it out loud or putting it on paper ignites forces in the universe that begin to move in your favor. It ignites energy that begins to move in your favor to lead you to a better place. <clears throat> it doesn't mean, and this is an important thing to say, it doesn't mean the rug's going to get pulled out from underneath you. I think the reason the rug gets pulled out from underneath a lot of people is because we get glimpses of the truth and then we consciously go back to sleep because it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to deal with my relationship because I'm afraid of what that would mean or I don't want to face the fact that you know, my job is sucking the life out of me because I have to work and I need the money and I can't do anything different or, you know, whatever it might be. I don't want to go to the doctors and find out what's really going on with my body because I don't want to get bad news. These are just all normal human reactions to fear. But just because you name the truth, I'm scared about my health or I don't like my job or whatever it might be, I'm unhappy in my relationship. Just because you name the truth doesn't mean you have to take action right away. You just want to support, you want to release some energy and, and let life know, okay, I'm ready to be gently led somewhere. When people get the rug pulled out on, underneath them, I mean, I think about a, a woman that I just spoke with last week who's been at a job for about 12 years that she hasn't liked at all. And she's been wanting to leave for a long time and hasn't done a thing about it. And she just got laid off. And I think that's great news. I mean, it's not easy news. Unfortunately, she got a severance package. But the reality is she's been wanting to leave that job for a long time and she keeps denying the truth. So life eventually went, okay, we're going to just do it for you. You know, or... Life always does... Life does that though, doesn't it? It's like when we don't listen, it gives you a nice little... And pushes you forward. Well, yeah. And, and I know it, boy, does it feel that way when you're in it. And it's easy for me to say from the outside that life loves you. And life yeah. just gave you a left turn. Life just allowed you to get out of the box. But boy, you know, we, we have to grieve the reality of the loss and feel our feelings about it. And then at some point really adopt that attitude that, yeah, you know what? If life loved me, what if life does love me? And it's leading me in this direction for a reason. Yeah, I love that. Well, Cheryl, there are a few questions I like to ask all my guests that come on. Uh, and the first question is, what's something in your life that when it was happening, it felt really difficult, but looking back, it was a big blessing. So this actually goes kind of very smoothly with what we were just talking about. Yeah. Okay. I don't think, I'm trying to decide if I'm ready to talk about the death of Poupon without like turning into a blubbering idiot. I guess I will say that um, I will say it was, it was probably the hardest loss that I've ever experienced because animals are just so much a part of our everyday life, right? Everything I do reminds me of him. And he really was a soulmate. I don't think every animal relationship we have is a soulmate connection necessarily. Um, some of them are lighter than that. It's been three months and I'm beginning to realize that as much as he was a teacher in his living with me, He's become a teacher um, in his dying in that it's showed me places in myself that I needed to heal. It's taught me about the value of loving fully and completely all out, knowing that you may lose. Um, and it's made me, for some reason, Jess, well, 
it's made me so much less afraid of death. Um, and somebody said something to me that I just thought was so beautiful. They said, oh, of course you're not as afraid of death because a little piece of your heart is on the other side now. And there is a part of me that thinks, you know what? Okay, so if I died tomorrow, I mean, I wouldn't want to leave Michael. Um, and I don't know what the hell I would do if anything happened to him. I'd deal with it. But, um, but there is a part of me that thinks, okay, you know, when we love something so fiercely, there is a, par a piece of our heart on the other side that we get to, I choose to believe that I get to revisit when, um, when I die. So uh, if you had told me in the last two months that I'd be at this place where I could begin to recognize the gift of it, I would have said, get away from me. I'm not buying that for a minute, but I'm starting to really see that. And, and, and to go back to what you were saying before, it's not, these aren't the things that we need to push or that we need to rush. Sometimes it's like, we, we know that's where we want to get, get to, and we jump there a bit too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, uh, this loss felt so hard on many, for many different reasons that um, I, I, all I could do was just say to myself, sweetheart, you know, I still have so many of his things and it's like, sweetheart, you'll keep those until the time is right. Like I'm going to let myself, anything we love that fiercely is worthy of our grief forever, for however long it takes. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. And the, the last question, it's a, on a lighter note. If you could be any animal at all on this planet, what animal would you be and why? could be any animal that's a good question see everybody you can tell that she did not prepare me with these questions <laughs> um so i you know i probably would be a deer i think there is a presence and a gracefulness about deer that i so appreciate when they're in the yard eating or when they're they can stand still forever right they're just so still and present and then i've seen i have fields in the back of my house and i've seen them run like the wind and um i think that those two the idea of being able to really be present in a graceful way both for myself and with others and to be able to run like the wind to me that's like awesome <laughs> i love that i love that cheryl well i really recommend for everyone who's watching to pick up this book waking up in winter i'm i loved it i'm not finished with it and i'm relieved you know when you have a book you love it's like you almost not at the same extent but you almost like get really sad at the end of it so luckily i still have half of it to read um cheryl thank you so much uh and until next time take care everyone bye cheryl thank you yes